Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello, and welcome to the Rachman Review. I'm Gideon Rachman, Chief Foreign Affairs Commentator of the Financial Times. This week, we're looking at Belarus, which is in the world headlines after the government of President Alexander Lukashenko forced down a passenger airline that was flying over the country. Once the plane had landed in Minsk, they arrested a prominent Belarusian journalist, Roman Protasevich, and his girlfriend, Sofia Sapega. The background to these events is the continuing political crisis in Belarus. Katya Glod joins me this week to talk about the situation. She's a native of Belarus and until 2018 worked there for the European Endowment for Democracy. She's now a political consultant based in London and an author. So is Lukashenko's repression working? Or is there a future for the democratic movement in Belarus? Alexander Lukashenko is the only president Belarus has had since the office was established in 1994. He's often been called Europe's last dictator, although these days there are a few other contenders for that title. President Lukashenko was declared the winner of elections last August for the sixth time in a row. But the elections were widely denounced as fraudulent, leading to mass demonstrations across the country. Tens of thousands of demonstrators were the biggest challenge to Lukashenko's rule in more than 20 years. But the protests were met with brutality and repression. Chaos, outrage, and the demand for change unfolding right now on the streets of Belarus. Several demonstrators have died, and the body of one of them was found right here in these woods. Several protesters were killed during demonstrations or in detention, and many more were arrested. Groups of black-clad masked police were filmed running towards protesters and dragging them into black minibuses. Last September, the UN documented 450 cases of torture by the Belarusian authorities, as well as reports of sexual abuse and rape of detainees. In the face of repression, the protests have died down. But the recent hijacking of a civilian airliner has once again focused international attention and condemnation on Belarus. Here's the president of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen. This is an attack on democracy. This is an attack on freedom of expression, and this is an attack on European sovereignty. Forcing down a plane that was flying between two European Union countries was a provocative and risky act for Lukashenko. So when I got Katya Glod on the line, I started by asking her why the Belarusian government was so determined to get its hands on Roman Protasevich. Roman Protasevich is a young journalist, a blogger, and currently the editor of one of the most popular Telegram channels called Belarus of the Brain. And Telegram app is something where today most Belarusians get their news from because internet access to independent media has been restricted in Belarus. It started last summer during the presidential campaign, and today we have over 70 websites that have been put on a so-called 
blacklist that people cannot access inside Belarus. So journalists and online newspapers and other media outlets, they continue reporting and putting all their news on the Telegram channel. And Lukashenko is very frustrated that he cannot really control Telegram channels, that there is no way that his security services could block them. And obviously the regime is struggling for survival. Next January, for example, Lukashenko wants to hold a constitutional referendum and he wants to push through new amendments that would uh, very likely help him to stay in power. And he really wants to prepare the ground for this constitutional referendum so that for the next several months they had there is no alternative information coming to people. And of course, Telegram channels, apart from giving the news, they have been really the very vehicle that helped Belarusians to mobilize, to take to the streets. And the last reason, perhaps, is that Roman Protasevich, he was also the co-founder and worked as an editor of another very popular Telegram channel called Nechte, behind the self-organization and mobilization of people. Roman was coordinating this protest. He was telling people where they should go, where they should meet. So in a way, Roman is also a personal enemy to Lukashenko. And Lukashenko is a very revengeful person. And if there is a chance to take revenge, he always does it. Nonetheless, it was an extraordinary violation of international norms to force down a plane that was just flying over Belarus. Do you think Lukashenko understood how much of a violation that would be seen as internationally and was prepared to take the consequences? That's a very interesting question. And my guess is that he did not really understand that. His security services who orchestrated the whole operation They're efficient to some extent, but I don't think they have enough intellectual capacity to calculate the foreign policy consequences. But we have also to remember that currently for Lukashenko, the domestic politics is really the focus of all his attention, because he understands that although the security services have suppressed large-scale protests, that hasn't really changed what people think. People are still very much frustrated with his regime. He still has very low support, 15, 20%. And therefore, for him, the most important thing currently is domestic politics. And if he can get hold of a journalist who is very active on Telegram social app, if he can send a signal to the Belarusian opposition outside of the country that, look, you might be caught, that's what is currently very important to him. And He cares about that far more than he cares about international consequences of such an action. Which brings us to the question of how secure is he? I mean, obviously, it's impossible to be completely certain because events can take unexpected turns. But certainly viewed from the outside world, it looked like the moment of maximum danger for him was last year when there were these huge demonstrations against the stolen election that he had forced them down, that he's arrested so many people and indeed killed many as well, that he was secure again in power. Do you think that's a misreading? I think you are right. I think he feels more secure than he did last summer. And what helped him to feel more secure is obviously, yes, suppressing these large demonstrations. 
because this is where was all the attention coming from, including from the Kremlin, from the international community. It was all focused on these huge demonstrations, and now they are not there anymore. But on the other hand, he's been trying many things now to retain his popularity, but he understands that the situation is still not the status quo ante. And he is very frustrated that he cannot kind of, you know, travel back in time to uh, last summer before August when he thought that he completely controls society. He's also now more vulnerable to the Kremlin, for example, because before, obviously, he always had this very good skill of maneuvering between the West and Russia. And now, once he's completely severed the ties with the West, he understands that his only solution to all his issues, political, first of all, and economic, of course, is the Kremlin. And that gives him another big vulnerability. So he is certainly more secure than he was last autumn, but he's far less secure than he was a year ago. And what do you think the state of the opposition is now, particularly after the arrest of Pratasevich? Because clearly it was intended to send a message to a lot of the Belarusian opposition, which is now outside the country, that they're not safe even there. Do you think that they will have been to some extent demoralized by this? Well, I think that that obviously did send them a warning signal, but I don't really think that the arrest of Roman Protasevich has intimidated the Belarusian opposition enough. And this is, again, something very new in Belarusian politics, because we have new people who have come to the opposition. Well, for example, the best-known person is, of course, Mrs. Tikhanovskaya, who is believed to have won the last August elections, but we also have Mr. Latushka sitting in Warsaw, a former top official, and we have a small group of people functioning inside Belarus. And these people are far more representative of society. They are also far more efficient. They come from different backgrounds. Like the previous opposition, they were mostly, they kind of rose to fame through dissident movements. And these people are very hands-on experience. But at the same time, they are still political engineers. They have not really been to politics before. The system that Lukashenko built over his almost 27 years in power is such that he has hollowed out political institutions. Political parties are very small. There is no opposition represented in any government body. So in a way, you can say that the opposition that is currently working in Belarus, yes, they are outside of Belarus, which is bad. But on the other hand, they are far more determined to house Lukashenko than the previous opposition. And yes, Lukashenko tries to intimidate them. But I think there is now this critical mass of people working in the opposition, so to say, that they feel as a whole, they feel united, and they have a very clear person that a signal like that is unlikely to deter them from what they're doing. And in an odd way, do you think the hijacking is also an opportunity for them because it puts Belarus back in the headlines and it has led to an increase in international pressure on Lukashenko? Yes, exactly. And that's what the opposition is currently saying, that, look, before Belarus was more of a moral dilemma for the European Union, first of all. Yes, it's a part of Europe. It's not nice that there are political prisoners. It's awful that 
um, human rights are violated. But nonetheless, this was an internal crisis contained within Belarusian borders. And now we're seeing some indications that this crisis might spill over, at least to the neighboring EU countries. And that has certainly put Belarus back on the international agenda. And it also pushes, obviously, the West to try to do something more to impose tough economic sanctions, which the opposition have been asking for now almost for 10 months. And we still have not seen this full range of real economic sanctions. And now it's quite likely that within a few weeks we'll see something like that. And that should definitely put more pressure on the regime. Yeah. So you, I mean, somebody who's obviously sympathetic to the opposition, do believe in economic sanctions because, of course, we hear the arguments that are always made on these occasions that, well, you know, Lukashenko will be fine. He'll get around these sanctions. The people who will really suffer are ordinary Belarusians, that they won't be able to leave the country, they'll lose their jobs, and that sanctions are a bad idea. That's not your view, I assume. Well, I don't think that sanctions alone will work. I think sanctions is only really one to put pressure. Actually, with regards to Belarus, we do have a couple of instances when they did work. We look back at 2006, for example, um, that was another presidential election year in Belarus, and one of the prominent candidates was arrested, Mr. Alexander Kuzulin, and he was eventually released two years later after the U.S. imposed economic sanctions on Belarus concerning its oil industry, which we are seeing again. And that was believed to be the direct consequence of these American sanctions because they were quite painful for the regime. And I think we're seeing something similar. For example, if you'd like to know what people in Belarus think, then it seems that after people uh, suffered so much from this very large-scale repression, after so many people have been bitten, as people say in Belarus now, nearly every family has been in one way or another touched by repression. People in Belarus actually openly say that, yes, we do want economic sanctions. We do understand that they will concern everyone and everyone will have to suffer. But people in a way feel trapped with Lukashenko that they think they've done so much, they've taken to the streets, nonetheless he's still in power and people inside Belarus are really looking at the outside world, hoping that sanctions is another tool which hasn't been really tried so far and it might bring some benefit. Maybe at least some political prisoners will be released, which would be some sort of bigger achievement. Yeah, I mean, before we go on to the state of the economy, just give us a sense of the scale of repression in Belarus. I mean, you say most families will have been touched. So how many people have been arrested or killed? Do we even know? Well, we know that over 35,000 people have been prosecuted um, since August. That means that they've either spent some time in prison or they had a very high fine. Mm. We know that there are now over 400 political prisoners who have been qualified by human rights organizations as political prisoners. But there has been much more than that because, for example, there have been mass dismissals of people who work at state-owned companies and who took part in the protests and they were fired. Like the security services were going through the CCTV footage at all big companies and all people who were noticed have been fired. 
And you cannot now even wear white, red, white clothes in public in Belarus, which is the colors of the national flag, because you may be taken to prison. So in a way, repression did touch many families, even if you yourself haven't been imprisoned, you know, someone who's been either dismissed or spent some time in prison or was persecuted by their superiors at work for political beliefs, for example, not getting a bonus payment if your views those that oppose the regime, because there are security services basically at every state-owned companies, and not only state-owned companies, at big private companies as well. There are so-called deputy directors who oversee the political views of people, and you might get reprimanded if you're known as someone who has the views of the opposition. What about the vulnerabilities of the government and the regime? I mean, you've written that you think the economy really is their their biggest weakness. So what's happening with the current state of the economy? Yes, economically, Belarus is not doing well. So the economy is still um, state-owned, most of it. There hasn't been really done any modernization or upgrades to the economy. Belarus has been living off Russian energy subsidies and direct loans. Today, we are really seeing um, the consequences of all those policies. And this is what basically started bringing out this dissatisfaction with people, because over the past decade, minimum wage hasn't grown in Belarus. The average monthly salary, for example, is around $400. Macroeconomic stability is not there any longer. That's one issue. And the other issue is that there are not enough uh, drivers of growth. Whatever Belarusian economy had maybe 10, 15 years ago has been exhausted. And um, today, uh, um, there isn't really much Belarus can do unless it starts properly restructuring the economy and transferring to a market economy. And this is the least thing Lukashenko wants because he really fears private business and he fears that that will eventually drive him out of power. And what about the reaction in Moscow? I mean, you said earlier that Lukashenko is now completely reliant on Russia, uh, is, can't really play the game that he used to play, balancing them off against the European Union. Do you think that therefore the Russians will welcome these latest developments? Yes, the Russians probably would welcome these developments because exactly that turns Belarus completely towards Russia, it puts a tighter control over Belarus. We have seen Lukashenko since last August after the fraudulent presidential election. He has gone to see Putin, I think, for about five or six times. And we can only speculate that there is some bargaining going on there. Of course, Russia would like to control Belarus more. It's interested not only in Belarusian territory, but it's far more interested in tapping into the Belarusian state resources and in getting hold of them. For example, Belarus is one of the largest world producers of potash. Belarus has also two relatively upgraded and modern oil refineries, and they're very close to the European Union borders. That's, again, something Russia would like to get hold of. And obviously, apart from the economic side, Putin would like to have closer political ties with Belarus. Without even legal papers, it's quite clear that Russia would like to control 
Belarus more to have some sort of, it's called sometimes Donbass on the western border or Chechnya on the western border, when Lukashenko as the government is really just a puppet, completely relying on decisions in Moscow. And yet I suppose there may also be a downside for Russia in the sense that Belarus could become another flashpoint between Moscow and the West. And we have the Putin-Biden summit coming up on June the 15th. Do you think that Belarus will become a major issue between Moscow and the West? No, I don't think Belarus will become a major issue. Um, We do know that Biden is going to raise Belarus in his talks with Putin. That has been announced in the news. But President Joe Biden also understands that he needs to have a relationship with Russia to solve climate issues, to solve arms control issues, to talk about Syria, Iran. And therefore, Belarus is not going really to become a major issue and certainly not a bone of contention. There are far more important issues for the Biden administration than Belarus. So just to conclude then, we've talked throughout the conversation in different ways about how the Belarus opposition are hoping to change things. Obviously, they do hope for external pressure. What's your assessment of what the US and the EU have done and perhaps should do in the future? Well, we have not yet seen true economic sanctions. And there is a great belief by the opposition that the economic sanctions, what is currently being discussed, sanctions on the Potash companies, sanctions um, targeting oil companies, may make regime think twice and maybe make some concessions to the West, like release of political prisoners. But overall, I think it's quite clear that we are going to have a very long conflict in Belarus with a long excruciating transition. What is important to realize is that society in Belarus has changed People have clearly shown that they are not happy with this regime, that they view it as very archaic, not representing their views, that people see their future as part of wider Europe, as a democratic country. And one way or another, people will continue to manifest these demands. And what the West can do is perhaps to help civil society in Belarus to stay resilient. We have seen lots of self-organization of civil society, but now that's been mostly put on hold because of very high level of repression. And some solidarity, some support, some financial support for informal groups, and some also capacity sharing, how to stay resilient in uh, repressed societies, how to stay resilient and to build stronger civil society structures that will eventually, in due course, implement the political change that people desire. Okay, Katja Glod, thank you very much indeed for joining me. Thank you, Gijan. That was Katja Glod, a Belarusian political consultant and writer, ending this edition of the Rachman Review. Thanks for listening. I hope you'll join us again next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.